The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome members of our armed forces who are joining us from remote locations over the Internet, as well as new listeners in Washington, New Hampshire, Florida, Massachusetts, Illinois, and all across the country. Thank you for being with us. In just a moment, former governor of Rhode Island and Democratic presidential hopeful, Mr. Lincoln Chafee, will be joining us to explain why he's thrown his hat in the ring. He's here to talk about how to fix America's foreign policy, protect the middle class and environment, and also why converting to the metric system may be good for the U.S. economy. But before Mr. Chafee joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Lincoln Davenport Chafee was born in Providence, Rhode Island. He earned his undergraduate degree from Brown University, after which he attended Montana State University to learn horseshoeing. For seven years, he worked as a blacksmith at harness racetracks throughout the U.S. and Canada. And from 1983 to 90, he worked in various manufacturing jobs. And it was during this time that he became a delegate to the Rhode Island Constitutional Convention and served on the Warwick City Council. Then in 1992, Chafee became the mayor of Warwick, and he was reelected for three additional terms. That is, until he was appointed to fill the Senate term of his late father, John H. Chafee, and subsequently was elected to serve a full term. While in the Senate, he chaired the Senate Foreign Relations Committee's Middle East Subcommittee and served on the Senate Committee for the Environment and Public Works. I should also point out that Mr. Chafee was the only Republican senator to vote against authorizing the use of military force in Iraq. And we're going to hear more about that controversial vote later in today's program. In 2011, Mr. Chafee became the first independent to be elected governor of Rhode Island in more than 150 years. Last month, Chafee announced that he would seek the Democratic nomination for the presidency. And he's here today to tell us more about his reasons for entering the race and his positions on issues we should all be concerned about. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report, former governor and senator of Rhode Island and presidential candidate, Mr. Lincoln Chafee. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. Chafee. Thank you, Rebecca. First of all, let me congratulate you on your decision to enter the race. I know you've only been campaigning for a short while, but how's it going so far? People are glad to hear that there are choices. And uh, early in this Democratic uh primary process. Uh, Everybody thought it was just going to be Secretary Hillary Clinton and maybe uh, one or two others. Now there's five of us. And what I'm hearing from the voters are, uh, thank you for giving us choices. We want to hear what you have to offer, learn about your history, as you just uh, shared with your listeners, and uh, your character. That's what they're interested in, your vision for the future, uh, what you've done in the past, and what kind of honesty and uh, courage you have. Now, in just a moment, we, we're going to tackle some of these uh, tough issues, uh, such as failed foreign policy. But before we do that, let, let me ask you, what do you see currently as your campaign's biggest challenge? Well, obviously, it, uh, raising money is a big part of any campaign. And I've been in many, as you uh, just shared with your listeners, starting at the local level and then becoming a senator and a governor. Uh, so that's part of it. Uh, and then uh, in this case, getting up to New Hampshire and meeting the voters and out to Iowa, those are the early states. Uh, that's the process. So is it mostly t- 
trying to get enough coverage. I know there are lots of questions about fundraising. Can you generate enough money to buy the kind of advertising coverage that you need or even to uh, attract workers uh, to work in the campaign? Um, what do you see as, as you know being the toughest challenge? Well, that's part of it, especially uh, when you're getting a start uh, after some of the other candidates. And uh, Secretary Clinton is, has an early start and has done tremendous fundraising already. And so it's a little bit more challenging for those of us that are now uh, getting into the race. But uh, the fortunate part of it is it's retail uh, in New Hampshire, it's just getting the up there and meeting the voters, same thing in Iowa. Uh, And so it's not the whole country, it's two states to really get the momentum. And that's what I've been doing my whole career, is meeting voters. Now, there seems to be a great deal of momentum building to elect the first female president of the United States. And given that enthusiasm, um, how do you call attention to the issues without looking like a spoiler or worse yet, as if you're attacking Secretary Clinton? I don't think that's accurate, Rebecca, that there's this great momentum uh, to have the first woman president. Uh, uh, I'm not hearing that in New Hampshire, and that uh, is indicative of the Sanders phenomenon that he's taking off. Uh, They're not sure that uh, based on Secretary Clinton's uh, uh, vote for the Iraq war, her hawkish tenure as Secretary of State, and uh, some of the ethical issues, the Clinton Foundation, yes, we want a woman president sometime, but I'm not, I don't, what I'm hearing up there in New Hampshire is uh, a a lot of interest in other candidates. So you don't feel that her being a female plays a role in how the voters will, will go? Yes, of course it plays a role, but in this case, uh, I I don't think that it's a done deal, uh, which many were saying is is a coronation and inevitable. I, I just, that's not what I'm feeling up in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what it, what are you getting from New Hampshire? What you know are what issues are coming to the forefront where you feel like you may have an advantage? Well, certainly Sanders, uh, Senator Sanders, is showing that the income inequality is a huge issue, and uh, high student debt and some of these uh, domestic issues are important. Uh, climate change, uh, it's all important, and but they're also interested in what's happening overseas and. Uh, ISIS and how we're going to deal with that. Uh, so it's all the relevant uh, contemporary issues, and uh, they're also interested in what you've done, what you've accomplished in the past. Uh, and and uh, so it's going to be an exciting race ahead. It's uh, here in July, and uh, the first votes are going to be taken in February. So a long marathon ahead of us. Now, you have been a Republican, you have been an Independent, and you've been a Democrat. Has that helped or hurt you in, in an uh, election like this? I think it has not helped uh, in that uh, being in a Democratic primary, they're a little uh, cautious about uh, uh, a former Republican. But once I tell them that I have never changed on the issues, uh, they're receptive to that. They can look at my record on the environment or my record on civil liberties or my record on building the middle class social programs or my record on not getting us into these quagmires overseas and very, very consistent over my long tenure as a public servant, very, very consistent in supporting a woman's right to choose, on protecting our environment. Uh, and they like that. They like consistency. It's interesting. Uh, in looking at your track record, you are exactly right. I think your positions have remained very consistent. Uh, I'm wondering, if you don't mind if I ask you, uh, why did you switch teams? Well, my party changed. It used to be there was room in the Republican Party for us liberal moderate Republicans from the Northeast or from Oregon and Washington, Minnesota, across the country. Uh, but then we started getting primaries, and uh, they called us rhinos, Republican in name only, uh, and uh, there was less and less room for us. And that's true not only for us in office, but also for uh, just friends of mine and that used to be Republicans and of the same uh, policies that I have, uh, take care of the books, uh, make sure revenues and expenditures match, don't pass on debt to future generations, and let people live their lives as they see fit. That was our old Rockefeller, Eisenhower Republicans. 
And then you became an independent, but obviously you went from independent to Democrat. Uh, why make that transition? I found it hard to govern as an independent. Uh, it, sometimes you need a party. And and so it, it, the next step was to become a Democrat. I'm very comfortable. The issues I talked about, the environment and civil liberties and uh, even balancing the books, that's become a, a Democratic issue now, uh, getting a deficit and uh, aversion to these uh, entanglements overseas. Mm -hmm. Now, we have to take our first break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to walk through the four policy areas which Mr. Chafee would focus on as president, so stay tuned. You're listening to the Costa Report. Have you checked out the Costa Report blog yet? Well, what are you waiting for? There's no quicker way to find out what newsmakers are saying than the Costa Report blog at RebeccaCosta.com. It's where the former CEO of Apple and PepsiCo, John Scully, predicts where the next tech breakthroughs are going to come from. And also where Trent Lott explains why a GOP reversal of the Senate nuclear option will signal real change in our nation's capital. And the Costa Report blog is where you'll discover why Alan Dershowitz is worried that ISIS is adopting Hamas-like tactics. You'll find all this and more at the Costa Report blog. A new blog is posted every week, and they're short, pithy, and tell the unvarnished truth. Just go to RebeccaCosta.com to get the latest blog. That's RebeccaCosta.com. And while you're there, be sure to register for updates and breaking news. The Costa Report blog, bringing you the news the big networks don't and won't. Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Dole has a bounty of berries ripe for the picking. Fresh berries are not only delicious, but some of the most powerful disease-fighting foods available. Researchers have found that berries have some of the highest antioxidant levels of any fresh fruits. So add a handful or two of your favorite berries to your next meal and enjoy their nutritional benefits and natural sweetness in all of your dishes from salads to desserts, and everything in between. For fresh tips and ideas from Dole's berry experts, visit berries.dole.com. And be sure to check out the pages of mouth-watering recipes. Whether it's a sweet and savory blueberry-cranberry chicken salad or a simple strawberry sorbet, Dole has the perfect berry to inspire your next berrylicious dish. Hi, registered pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years, and what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, it may change your life. For you guys who are dealing with low T issues, if you're older, if you find that you're in the gym and you just can't gain the muscle mass that you want, if you're getting body fat, you can't get rid of belly fat, or if your sex drive isn't what it used to be, or if you're using testosterone or androgel and you're not getting the benefits that you want, chances are your body is an estrogenic female hormone, estrogenic mode. Estrogen, of course, is much more than a female hormone, but it does have feminization properties. Also, chances are pretty good that you're dealing with insulin resistance. So if you're having Having problems with testosterone, either low T or low T effects, if you're in the gym not getting the benefits that you want, or if uh, you're taking testosterone and not getting the benefits, the chances are good either A, that you're dealing with excess feminization, excess estrogen. Estrogen is a stress hormone, and it's made in body fat. The more body fat you have, the more estrogen you're going to be producing. Men and women, folks, men and women. If that's not a reason to get rid of that body fat, I don't know what it is, guys. Body fat means feminization. So losing that body fat is the first thing that you want to do. There's also great anti-estrogenic foods you can use. Probably the cruciferous vegetables are the most important of the anti-estrogenic foods, broccoli, kale, cabbage, cauliflower. If you don't like those kinds of foods, learn to like them. One of the great tricks that you could use for broccoli and cauliflower, these medicinal cruciferous vegetables, is to steam them, use butter and salt. Wonderful anti-estrogenic foods. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report. I don't know if you feel a little sluggish in the middle of the afternoon like I do. Pollen Burst comes in a box of 30 packets for $56 or two boxes for $100. And you can order it right now at kscoteam.com. The next time you feel tired and need a little boost, skip the coffee, soda, or candy bar and mix up a cold glass of Pollen Burst and do your body some real good. Go to kscoteam.com.
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former Senator and Governor of Rhode Island, Mr. Lincoln Chafee. And before the break, you were saying that the reception to your announcement that you're a candidate for the Democratic nomination for the presidency has been very positive, and people are happy to feel that they have a choice. So let's talk a little bit about your four-point platform that you're running on, uh, beginning with what you call an aversion to foreign entanglements. Can you speak to that for a moment? Yes, I grew up in the Vietnam era, and uh, of course we know now uh, what a tragedy that war was, and over 50,000 dead Americans, and uh, for what? And so then when we started to look ahead into Iraq after September 11th, I had my questions as to whether the premise of Saddam Hussein having weapons of mass destruction was accurate. And I just didn't want to get back into another tragedy uh, such as Vietnam. And I just didn't see the proof that Saddam had these WMDs. And I even went to the CIA in a special meeting with analysts, and it was totally unconvincing, Rebecca. Mm-hmm. And so I came back to my colleagues, and I said, I just, I just don't think this premise is accurate. There was so much momentum, and you were criticized for questioning, uh, going, uh, as you said, the controversial vote. Um, there was only 23 of us out of 100 senators. And so uh, we, I ended up being right. There were no WMD. And now we have to fix it. The, the chaos that's over there, the spreading chaos across North Africa. And so that's why I'm, uh, it's not only the cost in lives, but it's the cost in dollars that we could be using here on our schools, on our roads and bridges, on our health care. Uh, $6 trillion we're spending in Iraq. Uh, and all those necessary uh, social programs to support our brave veterans that come home. Uh, we went through it with Vietnam. Now we're back in it. Uh, another quagmire in the Middle East. It, it sounded to me, in looking at uh, what you've written about your decision to oppose military force in Iraq, that your standards for evidence were much higher than your colleagues. Well, I didn't trust Bush and Cheney, to be honest. Uh, they had come in promising to be uniters and not dividers. That was the the phrase uh, that candidate Bush used in the campaign of 2000. I'm a uniter, not a divider. And as soon as he got in, everything was divisive. The big tax cuts and getting out of international agreements. And so there was a lack of trust that I had to start with as we started this debate on uh, going into Iraq. And once I had that lack of trust, uh, that helped me really do my homework. And going to the CIA, I don't think any other senator went down to the CIA and got a personal briefing such as I did. Uh, and so I was right. Now here we have having to fix it over there. Mm-hmm. Now, when you say an aversion to foreign entanglements, uh, are you agreeing with, uh, let's say, Ron Paul's former position that the U.S. can't act as a police force for the world? Yes, I think we should be doing it uh, in conjunction with the United Nations in Security Council resolutions, and even the first President Bush in Kuwait uh, did it the right way, went to the United Nations, and we worked together, and that's the way it should be, strong alliances uh, together uh, making our world secure. Now, you have also said that the United States must use its brains, not its biceps. I thought that was very clever and and memorable. So let's take a case like uh, the recent nuclear agreement with Iran. Are you in favor of this agreement? And as a former senator, uh, do you feel it rises to the level of a treaty, and should it be subject to a two-thirds majority vote by the Senate? I am in favor of what we're doing there, and I applaud President Obama and Secretary Kerry for their hard work here. And it's, it ha- we haven't seen the, the final product, so I can't say whether I support the final product, but I definitely support the effort that's going in. It's one of the no- other lessons of the Cold War. So if we just start talking to the Chinese, it started, I think, with ping pong teams. Uh, eventually, you can come to uh, some agreements on area of common ground. And with Gorbachev and Perestroika, uh, if you can just start talking, uh, that's a good thing. So I support that as to whether it's a treaty. Uh, uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to see what they come up with. It would be good to have a legislative approval of any uh, agreement. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I take it you support the current administration's restraint in terms of taking action in the Ukraine. Yes. Uh, I'd like to see better relations with Russia. Somehow we got off uh, uh, and uh, hostility, and we need a lot of repair work there, a lot of rapprochement with the Russians. I'd like to see these former Soviet republics not caught in a tug-of-war between Russia and the European Union. I think that's what's happening in Ukraine. And uh, if we could bring Russia more back into the EU, uh, uh, that that helps these former republics from being caught in, as I call it, a tug-of-war. Uh, and we saw the different elections in Ukraine going back and forth between pro-EU and pro-Russian uh, prime ministers and presidents. But we seem to be moving in the opposite direction in marginalizing Putin and Russia. Well, I heard that uh, President Obama and Vladimir Putin exchanged uh, July 4th phone calls. I think that, that's positive. So there's some positive news out there, and that's what we need to do more of. Find common ground in this age of nuclear weapons. We just cannot be uh, escalating our differences. We need to find common ground and work on those. Well, let's take a situation such as ISIS. How do we find common ground there? Well, we have to find out who they are. It's a a fairly recent phenomenon uh, in the last nine months, year or so. uh, And it was Al-Qaeda, and it was the Taliban, and it was uh, Boko Haram, and now it's ISIS, all these groups, and uh, Sunnis, and uh, the ex-Bathists, and and just find out who they are. And... uh, in the July 4th, there was a meeting of former Viet Cong and, uh, and GIs that fought, and they were getting together and having uh, barbecues and the like. And uh, one of the comments was it, that this war could have been averted if we understood Vietnam better. So just think of that. Over 50,000 lives, all that resources could have been averted if we just understood what was happening in Vietnam a little bit better. So the same thing's true with ISIS. It, it, understand who they are. Yes, we see some very horrific, barbaric acts, burning of a, uh, of a Jordanian pilot and beheadings, and I, uh, I'm not ignorant to the brutality uh, that we see from them. But I'd also like to know what their issues are and who they are. Well, aren't they making it clear who they are through their actions and, and their rhetoric? I, I think we understand their position fairly well, don't we? I'm not sure. And the same thing, just what I just said about the communists in Vietnam, uh, the same kind of vilification before we fully understood uh, what their issues were. So do you feel we've, we've rushed to a conclusion? Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. There's, uh, and the same thing happened with the communists. I just t- shared the story of uh, the former ambassador, Peterson, who was also a POW, for six and a half years, he was the one that said, "If this war could have been averted if we understood what was happening in Vietnam." Mm-hmm. Uh, are, I, I would take it that you believe that the conflict with ISIS might have been averted as well. I'm, although I'm reading between the lines, we could talk about that when we come back from this next commercial break. Stay right where you are. We'll be back with more from presidential candidate Lincoln Chafee. You're listening to the Costa Report. Now, if you've been listening to the Costa Report, you know that I'm on the air each and every week for one reason. It's become very difficult to separate fact from unproven beliefs. And the media, who we used to be able to rely on to tell us the difference, has become one of the worst offenders of all when it comes to making a distinction. But in addition to being on the air, I've written a book which explains why losing a grip on the facts is so dangerous. It eventually culminates in irrational public policy, something many of us worry about today. So I'm urging you to go to RebeccaCosta.com and get your copy of The Watchman's Rattle, an eye-opening book which, after the first few chapters, you'll be telling all your friends about. That's The Watchman's Rattle at RebeccaCosta.com. Do it now, RebeccaCosta.com. And remember, The Watchman's Rattle. Are things getting a little messy around the office? At Coast Paper and Supply, 
will meet all your janitorial needs. Mops, dusters, disinfectants? We got them. Can't get rid of that smell in the break room? Try our deodorizer. Carpet stains? We have a cure for that, too. While you're at it, pick up the essentials. Garbage cans and liners, sponges and brooms. Is your company going green? Coast Paper and Supplies offering earth-friendly cleaning and food service alternatives. Our ever-evolving stock includes compostable bowls, plates, cups, and cutlery. Not to mention eco-friendly cleaners and biodegradable trash can liners, all at the lowest possible price. So come visit Coast Paper and Supply at 151 Josephine Street or look us up at coastpapersupplyinc.com. You can also call us at 831-423-3350. That's 831-423-3350. The original Stagnero family has been in business since 1879. The Stagnero name stands for quality, quantity, and great service. The family's Gilda's Restaurant on the Santa Cruz Municipal Wharf is still the fishing headquarters of the Santa Cruz area. It's where fishermen gather each morning for coffee and breakfast before heading out on the bay. Stop by Gilda's and say hi. Dino looks forward to meeting you at Gilda's on the center of the Santa Cruz Municipal Wharf. Would it be crazy if you packed your bags and left? Peace Corps. Life is calling. How far will you go? To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or visit peacecorps.gov. Hello, everybody. This is Rosemary Chalmers, host of Good Morning Monterey Bay with a litany of other hats that I wear here at KSCO Radio. As many of you know, I recently experienced two significant losses in my life, one of which was my beloved husband, John Bateson. John passed away after a 14-month battle with cancer and was valiant in doing so. But the reason for this is not to tell you about that, it's to tell you about KSCO Radio. I'm approaching my 25th anniversary with the station, and I just want to tell you how special this place is, how awesome the owners are, how amazing and fabulous the staff are here, helping me out, covering for me, supporting me physically, mentally, emotionally, and just being there and being my family because my family isn't here with me. So when you think of KSCO, yeah, you think about great programming and interesting people, but just know that there is so much more to this fabulous organization. My sincere thanks go to Michael Zwirling and the Zwirling family and every single member of this marvelous organization. I am deeply grateful. Thank you. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, our guest today has recently declared his candidacy for the presidency of the United States, former senator and governor of Rhode Island, Mr. Lincoln Chafee. And before we took our break, you were explaining that the Vietnam War might have well been avoided had we understood the Viet Cong better. Uh, So do you feel the current war with ISIS could have been avoided? And uh, what would you specifically do today to uh, stop the threat of ISIS? Well, first of all, I was quoting the former ambassador to Vietnam, who was also a pilot that was shot down, uh, former Ambassador Peterson, mm-hmm. and he spent six and a half years in a Viet Cong prison, six and a half years in Hanoi Hilton, as they called it. And so it was his quote, it was his quote, not me saying it, that this war could have been... Right, but I, I assumed you quoted him because you agree with him. Well, I, I respect his opinion for sure. Mm-hmm. And a former ambassador and, and, and POW, and if he's saying it, I, I put a great deal of credence in it. Mm-hmm. And you lived in uh, you were in Laos, is that right? I was. My father worked for the CIA, and we were illegally in Laos during the Vietnam War. Oh wow! As okay. you know, so that what do you uh, think yeah, at, Vietnam. Do you think Peterson's right? I I have a very warped perspective because I was still a child. <laughs> so I thought everybody's father uh, worked for the CIA, and I thought everybody lived in a war zone. When you're a kid, you think everybody's family lives the way you do. And so I, I don't I don't think I have a proper perspective on the war. Uh, um, I, I, what I do know is that uh, the United States had military bases, uh, and uh, the CIA, as you know, uh, had worked out a deal to transport drugs uh, out of the uh, because the heroin trade was being affected 
by the war in uh, in Vietnam and the spread to Cambodia and Laos. And so the CIA worked out a deal so they could bypass congressional approval for monies that were needed to fight the war in Laos, which, of course, Laos wanted to remain a neutral country. It wasn't neutral, in fact. There were military bases throughout Laos, but that's, that's, a, whole nother, that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> Where were you in Laos? In Vincennes. Wow, and how old were you? Uh, I was I just turning 16, I guess 15, 16 years old. Okay, all right. Okay, yeah. so you understood a lot going on. Oh, I, I did, yeah, and I saw the worst part of war. And uh, it's uh, when you live in a war and you see the uh, human casualty, uh, you have, a, I think, very, very different perspective. It was uh, rather disturbing and shocking as a child to live in an environment of death and that kind of threat uh, each and every day. I would not wish that for any other human being. Uh, But I also realize that if people come for you, you have to be able to defend. And, uh, you know, and I certainly am not willing to lay down and have, you know, people attack the country or my family or my village, right? So uh, I I think there's, it's a very fine line. It's a gray area. And anytime somebody says gray area, you're in for an argument. (laughs) Well, uh, all the people that have been involved in these conflicts, uh, as you have, uh, the, the war is hell, and that, that is the truth. And if you can avoid it, uh, that's what we should be working on, and that, that's why I'm running for president. Yes, absolutely, and I couldn't agree with you more. But I, I doubt that there's a single politician that would not say we should do everything possible to avoid war. Uh, and, I don't know uh, if that's true. Really? Really? What I saw in the, in the, I was there in the Senate when, only 23 of us were saying, and there were even two votes. The first vote was an amendment by Senator Levin from Michigan just to slow it down. Let's just slow this down. It was the Levin amendment, and we couldn't get, it was the same vote, on one vote difference. It was 76-24 against Levin just to throw it, just to slow it down. Well, under fear. It was a rush to war. Well, I I believe, I have a different theory, and I, as a sociobiologist, I believe that, you know, under fear, people make uh, decisions to rush, and they make decisions that they wouldn't make otherwise. And I think there was just a, a, a definitely, um, it was a response to fear. Uh, But you know more about them than I do, because you were there. I agree with you. Fear and anger. That's exactly what we had at that time. And, and those are powerful, primitive emotions. They they go back absolutely. to prehistoric days, and they drive more of our decisions than we like to admit. Now, I want to move on to another topic. Let me just say one yep. thing, though, Rebecca, uh-huh. on this, because it is important. In that moment of fear and anger, there were 23 of us that did not succumb. And one of the, my opponents in the Democratic nomination for president did succumb. Former yes. Senator Clinton did succumb to fear and anger and voted for it. Yes. Now she wants to be the Democratic nominee. I just make that point. Yes, and that does make a statement about what drives your decisions. Uh, again, I think you had a higher standard for evidence, and you chose to use the rational side of your brain, your frontal cortex, to make a logical decision as opposed to an emotional one. Uh, but we are, you know, we are uh, products of our primitive. Uh, prehistoric inheritance, and uh, unfortunately, emotions do get in the way many times of public policy more than, like I said, we like to admit. Now, I want to move on to your. But one more thing. One more. All right. Thing. All right. Important. As we go, as we look ahead, of course, for the next president's going to be making decisions. Wouldn't you want to elect someone that can use, as you call it, the frontal? Is it from the the frontal cortex, yes. Yes, I want a frontal cortex president, yes. <laughs> well, <I've laughs> Let me go on record and say that would be a good idea. <laughs> I have proven that uh, under intense pressure, uh, I can make the best decision with the frontal cortex. And I, and I would hope that people that are listening today will pay attention to that because we, the last thing we do want is people that are reactive and cannot separate an emotional reaction from a logical one. And if they are having an emotional reaction, you know, it's the old saying, uh, step away till you calm down and you can see things clearly. They tell you that after a death or a divorce, don't make any big decisions about your life. Well, uh, perhaps after an attack on American soil, 
we should take that advice and not make any big decisions. That would have been my advice. <laughs> but of course, I'm not in Washington, D.C. I don't think they'd have me. They'd probably drive me out of town. And it goes back to what we <laughs> uh, quoted from the use your brain, not your bicep. It's the same, the same thing. Be careful. Be slow. If you need to take a step back in an emotional time, uh, then you have to do that. Use your brain, not your bicep. Sometimes we just want to strike back with anger and, and fear, and, and sometimes that's not smart. Absolutely. Now, I've got a couple minutes before I've got to go to another break, so let me ask you about uh, one part of your platform, which I know everyone will be interested in, which is the protection of civil liberties assured in the Constitution. And I understand along those lines, you would clear the way for Edward Snowden to return to the U.S. Is that right? Yes, he uh, shared with the New York Times, not a foreign government, uh, what our government was doing uh, that it's turned out that the courts have ruled was illegal. And he has served two years in exile for doing that. And now I think he should come home. The courts have ruled uh, that what we were doing as a government was illegal. We did not have a warrant for the uh, wiretapping we were doing as a government. Now, our government had an opportunity to extend whistleblower protection to government employees, and it failed to do so. Does that need to happen so that more Edward Snowdens can come forward? Because actually the NSA and the CIA blocked that and said, do you know how many people will be going to the public and coming forward if you do the, if you pass that? I think that our government should, uh, it is, and it, thank goodness for our courts that uh, are there, uh, to tell us when we're not adhering to our Constitution. And the Fourth Amendment is very, very clear. About the right of the people to be secure in their person's houses, papers, and effects. Uh, it's very clear. And, and what's happening with uh, wiretapping, and I think the whistleblowers should be given some power. Even government whistleblowers should be under protection. Do you believe that? We'll have to see the, the fine print in, the, in that law that you talked about before mm-hmm. I make a complete declaration here on your show. That's but in fair. general, uh, in general, uh, yes, we should. Um, people should point out when our government's doing things that are not constitutional. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's fair. I, I I didn't mean to catch you off guard on that. I, I I have mixed emotions about that, having come from a CIA family myself. But in a case like uh, Edward Snowden, I have no question whatsoever that he was a patriot by coming forward and making us aware of uh, these constitutional infringements. And we have to take our last break, but stay right where you are. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. You're listening to The Costa Report. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli. Scott, as Caraccioli's become much more popular throughout the world, have you scaled up production? No, we're always going to stay small. We make about 3,500 cases total a year. About 1,000 of those are still wine. About 2,500 of them are sparkling wine. And we only make two sparkling wines, a Brut Rosé and a Brut Cuvée. And really being able to focus on such a small set of wines in our portfolio and two varietals gives us the opportunity to really perfect what we're doing and develop programming that doesn't get distracted and is really just focused on exactly what we want to produce which is vintage method champenois bubbles out of the Santa Lucia Highlands year after year. Let our knowledgeable staff introduce you to Caraccioli sparkling and still wines at our tasting room on Dolores Street in charming Carmel-by-the-Sea. To learn more, visit us online at C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I-Cellars.com or give us a call at 831-622-7722. In the opening of All Quiet on the Western Front, Eric Maria Remark wrote, This book is to be neither an accusation nor a confession, and least of all, an adventure. For death is not an adventure to those who stand face to face with it. It will simply try to tell of a generation of men who, even though they may have escaped its shells, were destroyed by the war. Today, Project Healing Waters offers men and women that have escaped the shells of war the opportunity to heal by teaching our returning veterans to fly fish in some of the most beautiful, tranquil rivers in our country. These natural surroundings have the ability to restore the human spirit, and with your help, Project Healing Waters is able to reach out to thousands of our men and women in the military every year. For information on how you can help, go to projecthealingwaters.org. 
Please give and give generously to those who have put their lives on the line for you. That's projecthealingwaters.org. Help those who have escaped the shells of war and need your help to come all the way back. The sun is high in the sky, which means it's time to get your RV and trailers ready to roll. Hi, I'm Rena Mills, owner of RV Service Center of Santa Cruz, your locally owned RV parts and repair center with over 38 years of service to the Central Coast community. In addition to RV repairs, our qualified staff services and maintains boat, horse, and utility trailers, in addition to toy haulers. We also restore vintage RVs and work hand-in-hand with all insurance companies to ensure that your RV is restored to its original condition. RV owners, RV service will match your insurance deductible with a service voucher of equal value. It's like you pay nothing. Get your RV and trailers ready to roll with the help of your friends at RV Service Center. You'll find us easy to reach and easy to use at 2525 Mission Street, Cross Streets, Mission and Swift Streets in Santa Cruz. Call us at 831-427-0881 or RVSCSC or if you live in D.C. and Google the word dumb, followed by our favorite four-letter F-word, results for the U.S. Supreme Court show up. They Ooh, do. I want to see what it does in Santa Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting. It's not the four letters that start with K that, that represent this uh, radio station, right? No. The smart one. So should Google be allowed to do stuff like this? Yes. Of course they should. They can just make fun of random people whenever they want. You don't have to read it if you don't want to. Yeah, but they are, at this point, they're a public figure. They're not a private company at this point. They, they're a private they, company. But they are us. Like, Google is us, and we are Google at this point. I'm not Google. You're no. Google, Rosie. No, I'm not. Yeah. Oh, I you're can see the two O's from here. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in every morning as Rosemary Chalmers protects the First Amendment and Rick O'Jay demonstrates his 2020 vision. Catch Good Morning Monterey Bay, 69 a.m. on KSCO AM 1080. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is Lincoln Chafee. Now, in the time remaining, uh, I have to ask you about one of the more unusual initiatives that you've been advocating, which is that the U.S. adopt the metric standard. Can can you uh, speak to why you feel that's important? Well, I think after the mistakes we made by invading Iraq, uh, that we lost a lot of American credibility with the world. We told the world that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, and he didn't. And so we need to repair our credibility. And one way to do that, there are many ways, and I've offered different ways of restoring our American credibility, is to join the rest of the world on how we do measurement. And there's only uh, three countries, the United States, uh, down in your neck of the woods there near Laos, uh, uh, Myanmar, and Liberia. Those are the only three countries that are not metric. And it's also good for business. Uh, so I offered... Uh, stopping drone strikes, no more warrantless wiretapping, let's not have capital punishment, let's uh, not, uh, let's, let's go to the metric system. These are different ways of restoring American credibility and reintegrating ourselves uh, back into the world community. After that mistake of telling the world that Saddam Hussein had WMD. So you believe this will restore some relations with people uh, by not looking like a holdout? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Don't you think so? You live down there in uh, Southeast Asia. And I looked up your Yantan right on the border of Cambodia. Mm-hmm. That's where you lived? Yes, on the Mekong River. Uh, pretty inland, though. What language do they speak there? Well, uh, they speak Laotian, but they also uh, speak French because at one time it was a French colony. And so they speak beautiful French just as they do in Vietnam as well. So now I'm going to get back to something else about this metric conversion. We've been down this road before. Why do you think there's such resistance to joining the rest of the the global community on how they measure? Why, Why are we resistant to this? I don't understand it because... I worked on the horse racetrack in uh, Alberta, Canada, in the 70s, and uh, at that time, Canada was converting. And it was easy. It, it, it changed the signs, and uh, people get used to talking about the temperature being in uh, centigrade instead of Fahrenheit and 
kilometers and distances, and it, it was easy. And obviously, Canada wouldn't have done it if it wasn't to their economic benefit. So I don't understand the resistance here. And uh, so you experienced this firsthand in a foreign country, uh, and it, it, the conversion seemed to be fairly painless. Um, yes. Uh, and you don't Absolutely. have any re- reason to think that it wouldn't be painless here in the U.S. as well. That's right. Canada did it, and uh, they did it for a reason, and uh, that's economic benefits. And I hear from so many engineers after I uh, talked about it that, yes, we're way overdue in this country. Engineers have to work with other countries in their measurement system. I think we lost a satellite, $100 million satellite, because the conversion wasn't accurate. Uh, so there's a definite cost savings involved, as well as a symbolic reintegration into the global community, which is in our ben- to our benefit as a country, I believe. Well, it certainly will make uh, producers who sell products abroad very happy. They'd only have to put one type of measurement on their on their products as well. So I, you would think that it'd just be easier for commerce. Yes. Well, during the course of the campaign, after all the jokes are over with, hopefully <laughs> uh, we can have an intelligent discussion about it. Well, hopefully we can. Um let me ask you one more question about your, your candidacy. Um, when, when it comes times for uh, the delegates to decide who the Democratic candidate is going to be, what would you like them to keep in mind most? Absolutely. The issues that are resonating in income inequality, obviously, it's, uh, Senator Sanders has elevated that. And he's caught, absolutely caught fire with that. The whole Occupy movement that took place is, is significant. Uh, and where we fit into the world, I think those are the big issues. Uh, and in this age of nuclear weapons, we just cannot have these endless wars that they're talking about over there, just generational wars. And uh, if we can bring those resources back here to educate our children, to build our roads and bridges, and in the countries, instead of fighting and spending the resources over there in Yemen and in Ukraine, uh, on weapons and bombs, instead on health care, on schools and on infrastructure. Uh, that, that hopefully, when the delegates meet, uh, these are the issues that they'll care about. So you'd like people to uh, perhaps focus on the fact that we have been war-embroiled for uh, generations now, and, uh, and that there may be alternatives on how to, as you say, wage peace. Yes, uh, President Eisenhower's last speech as he left office after being the Supreme Allied Commander in World War II and a two-term President of the United States warned about the military-industrial complex. And here we are. seems to be uh, never-ending. Vietnam and then into Iraq and the Middle East. Uh, there's got to be a better way, and that's what I'm, why I'm running for President, proposing prosperity, which we want. We want good health care, good schools, good roads and bridges, and peace. That's what we want. What do you say to people who say uh, the decision uh, regarding war is a lot like a divorce? If one party wants it, you're going to have it. Uh, Well, in this age of nuclear weapons, uh, and Pakistan has nuclear weapons, uh, I think we just have to be smarter and work harder to avoid war. Right, but if ISIS decides they want to have a war... And they want to have a war against the United States. Uh, well, that's like, isn't that like having your spouse say, "I want a divorce"? I mean, you you can say no, you can put up a fight, you can plead, you can beg. I I, I think you're going to wind up as a divorce, aren't you? I mean, I mean, I, no, is it in our no, control? I don't see the similarities. I think the containment of what worked during the Cold War, if someone's bellicose and we contain them, such as we did uh, during the Cold War. Uh, it, it, that depends on strong alliances. It's not going to work if you don't have a strong, unified, allied community that's going to help with that containment. That's what worked. And eventually Saddam Hussein would have died. And another, whoever comes along, that's what happened in China and Russia. Some different leaders come along that uh, uh, have a different view and don't want to be as bellicose and want a divorce as you describe it. I, I understand. I, I, you know, you are absolutely right. Sooner or later, these regimes, they change and they provide an opening to have a conversation, even if uh, one regime 
uh, is unfriendly, you can always wait, and another regime is going to come along. Uh, and and at that and point, there's your there's your chance to open up the dialogue. Yes, and history has shown that's what happened with uh, Deng Xiaoping in China. Correct? Mm-hmm. Is that what happened? Yes. And Gorb- Gorbachev in Russia. Yes. And those are yeah. terrific examples of that. Uh, you know, if you if you've got the time, or you can make the time. Uh, it seems to me, uh, you know, one of the themes running through this interview today is uh, let's slow it down a little bit. Let's take time. Let's be more deliberate and thoughtful. Let's collect evidence if we have to take action and be more certain, act with more certainty and maybe less emotion. So lastly, before we run out of time, do you have a, uh, a website or a social media site where listeners today can go get more information and make campaign contributions? Absolutely. Please go to Chafee 2016 and uh, see, read all about me and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And I'll also add to, to what you just said about what we're saying about slow things down. Also, I think being a good listener is important. Yes. Listen to what others are saying out there. And that's what I did as I listened to what the Kuwaitis and the Turks and the Syrians and everybody was saying as we went into war, the Jordanians, Israelis, uh, Egyptians. Being a good listener is important. But please go to Chafee 2016 uh, Facebook and learn more about me. Well, that is all the time that we have left. But before we say goodbye, I want to thank you for your service to our country and wish you the very best in your campaign. Thank you, Mr. Chafee. Well, thank you, Rebecca. Rebecca, sure have an interesting history yourself. <laughs> well, I, I do, and I, and obviously you did your homework on it. <laughs> I didn't That's expect to get interviewed myself, but it was a lot of fun. Thank you. I opened the atlas and I saw your, your city there, the Antan, right on the Cambodian border on the Mekong, right? <laughs> there we go. If your station is leaving us after this first hour and you have a comment to make about our interview with Lincoln Chafee, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, we're all over the Internet and easy to reach. My guest next week is former Secretary of Defense, Mr. William Cohen, who will be here to discuss the impact defense cuts are having on U.S. security, including our ability to defend against government-sponsored cyber attacks. So mark your calendars right now because you don't want to miss William Cohen next week on the only program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for another hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management